Let's take a minute and thank our sponsors for helping grow this podcast to bigger and better every episode. Our first one is SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Our next one is Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. And Flipping Coffee, brewing real coffee with real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, standardization, and safety checks. Or maybe just an annual FAA refresher is what you need. They're ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing. With certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew members that are offering training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has partnered with Petzl to assist with a personal protective equipment inspection course and the highly specific Lazard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. And to add into it, they also teach ground tactical emergency care. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Again, sr3rescueconcepts.com or follow them on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. That's sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation. Manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which is my favorite harness being a rescueman, to the rescue basket, litters, and of course the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, yes, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, sews, wells, and machines these products into existence every day and sends them on their way to us. We do our work so that you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out at lifesavingsystems.com. That's lifesavingsystems.com. And follow them over on Instagram, at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. That's at Rescue Gear. Next is Breeze Eastern. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and unique mission requirements has changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, operators, and those rescued has not. Contact Breeze Eastern today by visiting at breeze-eastern.com. That's breeze-eastern.com. And the last one is Flippin' Coffee. At Flippin' Coffee, we roast each batch to perfection to bring that smooth, delicious cup of coffee that you won't find in most other brands. We like to keep it simple. Brewing real coffee using real ingredients for real coffee drinkers. Contact them today at flippincoffee.com. That's F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at flippincoffee. That's at F-L-I-P-P-I-N coffee. As a bonus, Flippin' Coffee is given a promotion. If you punch in promotion code, all capitals, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, you get 10% off. That's promo code REALRESCUE, capitals, all capitals, 
R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q, and you get 10%. If you're just going to send everybody an email, just make sure you tell them one thing. Quinny sent me here. And thank you to all of our sponsors. My next guest is the first time I've been able to bring a United States Coast Guard hoist operator to the show. And I could not be more happy to have this guy come on because this guy is where I learned all of my stuff. So he was my instructor uh, as a hoist operator. Super happy to have him here. He's got incredible stories uh, with some great tips at the end of the podcast. So without further ado, please welcome... Mr. Pat Barber. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Let's do this. You got the con. I have the con. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast. My guest today uh, is more than just a friend of mine. Him and I have been through Kodiak together. We were down in the Gulf of Mexico together. And dare I say it, he is my original hoist operator instruction or instructor is what I should say, because everything I learned, I learned from this guy. And when I thought I knew everything, he'd be like, hey, we're going to do this. And I'd be like, but that's not possible. He's like, yes, it is. You just need to figure it out. And next thing I know, I'm putting him in on. I'm like, what? And now I'm figuring stuff out. And I can't thank the man enough. So welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast, Mr. Pat Barber. How are you, buddy? I'm, I'm well. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for that in, intro. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, it is great to be here. It's great to see your sunny, smiley face. I miss yeah. you, buddy. Oh, you too, man. <laughs> you too. I miss yeah. you a lot. And hopefully things worked out. We get together here a little bit. Oh, fingers crossed, man. I, I'm, I'm kind of jonesing on that, uh, that training. So (laughs) I don't know if we can talk about that or kind of, of uh, we, we won't talk. We'll just leave it at that. I, I hope I get to see you too, buddy. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, I really, I mean, there are a couple of phone calls that I've made back to you, uh, text messages and whatnot that I really, you, everything you taught me in the hoist operating world, and you were not the only guy. So I got to give a little credit to, you know, Joe Martin, Dan Cassetti, um, uh, Rich Forbes. A lot of those guys gave me some great information and even guys that are, that are outside of that realm. But you gave me that core of everything. And I remember at one point sending an email out uh, or a message out to a bunch of people. I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm running into trouble with this. And, and the response back was like, well, maybe you're doing it wrong. Or there wasn't a response back. And I, I realized at that moment in time, I'm beyond everybody else because of Pat's training. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, good. Uh, all I can say is thank you. And uh, it's a pleasure. And I take great pride in people that I teach uh, or have taught and uh, I have a lot of pride in you so I well, am you. proud of you buddy thanks proud. man I appreciate that <laughs> I yeah. still think of one other thing that you tell me or you used to tell me is and that is when you hear yourself in the person you're training you know you've done a good job and that's that's like <laughs> when that's I it? hear when I hear the guys that I'm training and it sounds like Pat Barber I'm like oh I'm doing it right I'm doing it right he'd be happy <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So anyway, with all that, uh, Pat, if you could please just introduce yourself to everybody out there, you know, who you are, where you're from, how you got into search and rescue. Okay. Well, uh, obviously you told them who I am. So Pat Barber, uh, I'm currently living in Trout Creek, Montana, beautiful Northwest Montana. Love it up here. Very small community. Very small. That's what I like. Uh, and, uh, that's why I moved here. So how, how I got into search and rescue, uh, obviously through the coast guard, but what kind of started it is I watched this cheesy coast guard recruiting commercial. It was on TV or something. And I think it was at age 52 out of like Sitka or, and it, it was landing on the beach and coming to the aid of some guy who got mauled by a bear. And I'm like, that is what I, what I want to do. I mean, it was oh, an God. old, so so that was kind of like the whole start of it. I'm like, that's the what, what I want to do. I had some mechanical background. I was a heavy equipment mechanic beforehand and just looking for something else. Uh, so I joined the Coast Guard with the desire to be in helicopters in Alaska. So nice. Uh, it all worked out well. My first tour was Kodiak uh, on H3s back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> uh, we won't give day. away an age. <laughs> yeah, it was, a while. It, was, it, was, it was a while. So that started it all right there. Uh, so I did a you know full 20-year career. Uh, we might touch on all that kind of as we go on. I got retired, uh, tried to get into law enforcement, and that just didn't work out because of the economy and getting out of the Coast Guard at the wrong time. So I got hooked up with a – a private helicopter company that does tra training, you know, and, and that's where you and I work together. So I worked with them for quite a while. We did the Gulf of Mexico, uh, yeah. SAR EMS, which that was fun. There was, a, we did a lot of stuff. We did and, a lot of uh, stuff down there. We had a good yeah, time down there. Oh, it was just phenomenal. Every, 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 every day, you know, you're on <laughs> duty for, we were on duty for two weeks straight. Yeah missions after missions and i think i think i actually hoisted more so i did the golf thing for five years i think it was -ish. yeah give or take uh, yeah i hoisted more in that five i mean like legitimately hoisted people for missions and more in that five years and my whole 20 years in the coast guard i mean it was it was the rodeo days yeah and then i just got more involved in their training and kind of like did just specifically training with them and uh, trained a lot of agencies and that was fun. I enjoy the training, you know, cause I think safety is my key. You know, I want to make sure people get home at the end of the day, they get home to the people they love and, and, uh, it's a dangerous business. So I really enjoyed that. And then now I'm working, uh, a little bit with a, with another company doing some training as well. I'm excited about that. So I can continue that on, uh, some other stuff, uh, so obviously I'm not working full-time, so I have another part-time job. I am a deputy coroner for the, the county here. Wow. Oh, nice. It, it's a, that's an interesting work, you know, and it kind of just goes right along with what we've been doing other than I'm, you know, obviously dealing with, with uh, people who have, who have died, yeah. but I'm also dealing with the fam, the surviving fam, family members. Oh, that's and, gotta uh, be a little interesting. It is interesting, but I, I see that I'm, I'm a good help uh, with that, you know, because we we did SAR because we want to help people. And now I'm still helping people, but just in a different uh, aspect. Um, 
it's an interesting job. Very interesting. Has a lot of uh, variety. So it's pretty cool. We could talk about that more if you wanted, but uh, uh, it's all good. It's all good. So that's what I'm doing right now. Nice. Quick down and dirty. And, and you know what? You actually do one more thing, which I find very cool, and that is you're a woodworker as well and an arborist at that. So you do a little bit. Yeah. You do you dabble in quite a bit. So. It's not like you yeah. got out of heights because you still hang from trees to cut limbs and tops of trees down. And then, you know, you're taking fresh wood and making tables and cutting boards. And yeah, yeah. I do. I do all, all things wood. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, uh, lessons learned when we get to there, like later on, I actually learned and, an, uh, I had a kind of a mishap with the tree just last, last week. And uh, I learned something out of that. And we're going to talk about that later. But Oh, uh, oh I'm so excited. <laughs> this is so, great. Big, big lesson there. But yeah, I do uh, woodworking. You can check out my wood. Can I plug my? Absolutely. Uh, PB Woodworking at, on Facebook. PB so, Woodworking on Facebook. Man, on I, Facebook. I, I think I've liked it. If I haven't, I'm going to go right after this and make yeah, sure I, I like that page. But so I think I saw, I I sell uh, some of my cutting boards and things off, off of there. Uh, and uh, that's good. My, my long-term goal, once I'm done with every, every other thing, I'll just have a wood shop and I'll be the old guy working as <laughs> a wood shop, sip, sipping coffee. That's, yeah. That's Pat's plan, but. That's a good plan. We could, we could uh, bring in Bob Watson and say, you know, planning is essential. Plans are meaningless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I quote that often. <laughs> Thank you, Bob Watson. <laughs> Has he been on here? Not yet. Not yet. Oh my goodness. He's on my list. I gotta I gotta that would, that would be like a four or five parter podcast. Yeah, my yeah. Yeah. One day. One day for sure. One day. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, so now I'd like to get into just a little bit of you you said your first unit was Kodiak. So when you got up there, you get qualified. You're finally, uh, actually, if you don't mind, go into a little bit more as to what the hoist operators have to do in order to get qualified. Because it's not like, and this is this is out of my wheelhouse, so I'm gonna. This is all you. But you guys graduate from an A school, and now you're trained mechanically, and you're doing either um, right now it's AMT or AET, which is the elect, uh, mechanics mate, like aviation mechanic, and then aviation electronics is AET. Um, but then you guys, after you get qualified, you have to do a post-flight, learn the helicopters, learn how to do engine washes and your basic air crew stuff. Then you go on to be a hoist operator. So if you can kind of touch on a little bit of that to give people an idea. Yeah, that's, that's the progress. So once you complete all that stuff and the ground stuff and get your pre post flight letters and learn how to inspect the aircraft like they want you to, then you enter the flight syllabus, which is, which is a, you know, it's a paper copy and it has, it's all through progressions and it basically starts you from the very beginning of how to do the hoist check and inspection, look at that kind of stuff. And then you move, move into basic hoisting, like land, what they call land hoisting. So you're ho hoisting over the tarmac, over the runway, putting a, putting a trail line down, tagline line down, bringing it back up. You know, it's the old, what was that, crawl, crawl, walk, run process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you go for that. And, and uh, it's, it's a good way to do it. Uh, you're, you're at the, 
the problem, a problem with it is you're at the mercy of flight availabilities, you know, uh, missions and operations take precedence above, above the new new guy training. So, so sometimes that can take a long time and sometimes it goes pretty quick. So my, my initial hoist training went, went pretty quick. I think, uh, within three months, I think I got it all done. Wow. Uh, that's really good. I think it was pretty quick. So so you do the land hoisting, you get proficient at that, you learn the EPs, emergency procedures and cable management, that kind of stuff. And then you go to over the water hoisting and then to a boat and then you progress onto that. And then you do swimmer deployments. Uh, and then you kind of like start everything all over again, but then start doing it at night because that's a whole different different world. And uh, you know, you gotta have your skills a little bit better. So then you finish the night stuff. Uh, a funny story during one of my trainings. Uh, so remember, so we're deploying, practicing deploying pumps. You got the indirect pump deployment and the direct pump deployment. In the indirect deployment, you just put the, the tagline on the vessel, bring, the helicopter comes back and left, you hook the, the line to the pump and you just basically push the pump out the door. Yep. Well, back in the day, we had uh, the pumps weren't in those plastic clamshell containers. They were in basically a short 55 gallon drum, you know, a uh -huh. 35 gallon drum that had a <laughs> lid on the top. It yeah. had this big snappy <laughs> thing that closed the lid. So, so, so those, you know, where this said, maybe. Uh -huh. <laughs> so those were the pumps. And uh, we wore for our flotations, what, what was it, ESAS? Uh, was that the, man, it was the bladder. That you inflated the flotation and then for breathing you you had this like corrugated oh, hole. yeah because it was a it was an oxygen you, when you pulled the tab it was oxygen that inflated the vest so you could breathe and, and get out yeah you would breathe yeah. out of the vest right it was a ter terrible thing other than it yeah you know you had all this pressure it was not regulated it was like whatever pressure's in the vest yeah <laughs> So anyway, Especially floating at the top of the helicopter, like, or as a floor with it upside down. Yeah, the design yeah. was like, it was like, oh, this is a great idea with a, just a terrible, like all bad though. No. I've got it to get away from that. <laughs> so I'm wearing one of those vests. Okay. Get the trail line on the, on the vessel. We back off. I push the pump out. Well, during that process, that little handle latch thing got caught on the toggle on my inflation of the vest. So I pushed the pump out and the vest inflated, you know, and you can't hear it or anything, but all of a sudden my chest is like super tight and I'm like, what's going on? Trying to figure out what's going on. Oh, I inflated my vest without knowing it. And everybody got a good laugh out of it. So that was during, during one of my trainings. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. So now that you've made it through all of that process, you are now qualified, standing duty, and your first SAR case. What do you got? So uh, I'm going to actually skip to my second SAR case because my first one was uh, it was a medevac, you know. So we flew out to a remote village and picked up a uh, a young young little kid that was hurt. So it was kind of like uh, there wasn't a whole lot unremarkable we could say yeah but <laughs> all right so, well no no, no wait I, I want to talk on this because that's something that you really remember your very first SAR case so you fly out you land you have a swimmer on board we have a swimmer and i think we took a corman too oh nice so yeah. easy you land they 
depart the aircraft, they go get the patient, they come back. It's pretty uneventful. Yeah. Yeah. Other than some, I remember we had to deal with some weather, which was, which that was new to me because when you do the training, you're always flying in these perfect training mix. <laughs> yeah. So then the real deal, the real thing, we fly out and, you know, uh, you know, Kodiak, how the weather is and fog and yeah. ceilings down to the ground. So I, that was one of the main things I do remember is we had to deal with weather, which was totally new. So, uh, so we had to kind of like avoid and get down low and fly underneath all that stuff and, and got to the village, which was important, obviously, you know, yeah. the kid needed, needed higher level of care and took her back, met the ambulance at the, at Perfect. the, uh, at the air station. And pretty yeah. non-event, good little so easy that case. Was, that was my first nice. launch out. All right. Uh, hey, hey, listen, I, everybody's got to have the first and, and some are easy and some are hard, but <laughs> that's a yeah. good way to get your feet wet. All right. So yeah. number two, go ahead. Hit me. <laughs> so this was the second case was I consider it a significant event in my career. I've never even told you this. Uh, and it, I know, it was which not, is exciting to me, by the way. I mean, I didn't hoist anybody. But so this was the deal, uh, you know, we get launched out to a vessel uh, in the Barren Islands. If you remember those, that's uh, east of Kodiak, kind of in the lower part of uh, between Kodiak and Homer, kind of like down in that, basically in the middle, but still in the Gulf, just kind of a group of islands, kind of nasty weather there because you got. Yeah. So the vessel taken on water. So we fly out there. It's like one, there, there I was, dark and stormy. It was, <laughs> <laughs> the way the stories are written. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was dark and stormy. You know, like one o'clock in the morning, we get launched. Uh, we fly out there. The vessel had, was taken on water, had lost all electronics. Uh, they were only talking to us on a handheld radio. Oh, wow. uh, There's two, two people on board, and they were just transiting the vessel. They weren't fishing, so there wasn't a crew and all the rigging and stuff was in, but they were just transiting. So we get on scene and talk to them. And of course they don't want to get off. Nobody wants to get off their boat until, until they're just deep in water. Yeah. But uh, yeah. so the plan was just to deliver them two pumps because we'd taken two pumps, uh, okay. you know, the H3, you could take two pumps, eight or 10 box lunches and <laughs> <laughs> yeah and not worry about fuel or weight beautiful yeah. yeah uh so we get on scene there not a light on the boat it is dark and stormy i'm not going to try to remember what the winds were but it was howling the seas were like legit alaska weather yeah so i slide open the door and stick my you know to look out and i'm, I'm shocked it's just like i'm in a hurricane the, the snow and rain i mean this was in october November-ish, right, right in there. It's yeah. snowing, raining. Everything's blowing sideways. It's just, it's like a, it's terrible out there. And I wish again, you do all your training when it's nice and sunny and stuff, you know, and you don't yeah. get exposed to that kind of stuff until you're like literally thrown into it. Uh, so talking to them on the radio, they, they're confident they're not the boat's not going to sink, but they need to get the water off, so they just want the pumps. So we're going to do a direct delivery to the pumps so get all rigged up do the rescue checklist blah 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 lower out the, the initial tagline and it's like putting a water a rope in the river holy cow because the, the tail end just you know the flows backwards 
So I haul it all back. We add a ton more of weight to the weight bag. You know, the, the H3, we did carry a whole bunch of weight. And then we even had this heavy weather kit, which was another bag of weights. And uh, it, when you have that much space and you can haul that much, it's great to have all that yeah. extra yeah the 65 so, doesn't have that so no, no it was only no, allowed could, to have like three weight bags in the back of that aircraft you, like, oh. you gotta, you gotta <laughs> get rid of the co-pilot you know kind of... <laughs> so there was even talk of putting the chocks on the into the trail line because it was so bad and wow. uh oh no actually that comes up later okay, so i get on. add some more weight on there get it on there get get the bags get the trail line on on the deck and I mean, it is howling and the boat is pitching and the boat hits a big swell and pretty much just stops, you know? And of course we zoom on past forward and the tra trail line gets wrapped up in the rigging immediately parts snap. So then Holy cow. I'm like, I have this like moment where I come, I'm like, I got to get my stuff together. This is, I mean, this is, I'm way over my head and, uh, in order for me to be able to pull this off, I got to come up with something, you know, it's gotta be, this is it. You know, this is the real deal. I have found myself <clears throat> way above my head. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so it was, it was just shocking to me, but I'm like, okay, we're going to do it again. So we rig up again. And this is where I think that the idea of the chalks come in because we just lost four or five weight bags or whatever. So any, I don't know whether we use the chalks or not. I do remember talking about that yeah so we get it all rigged up again get it on there get the trail line on the deck deliver the first pump everything's all cool and deliver the second pump i think we, we gave them two pumps because it was a pretty big boat 60 to 80 foot oh wow <laughs> yeah very yeah good size for sure and they had they had propulsion they could stay they could they could motor but they had zero light there wasn't a light on deck there wasn't even a flashlight <laughs> you know wow. so the only only, time, only thing you could see was what whenever the flood hover lights would would illuminate there. So I'll get both pumps on, on. I mean, and that just wore me out. I mean, it was like, but finally figured it out. Finally figured out the process. Got it all done. Uh, they got the pumps running. So we babysitted them for a while. They had a hard time navigating as well. So we came up with the idea of we would fly ahead of them to where they needed to go and drop a... You know, those big floats that were like a little trash can, uh, the smoke flare floats. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the Mark 58s and the Mark 25s. You're talking yeah, about big, those? Yeah. yeah. So the Mark 58 is uh, a big um, white phosphorus type material. It burns for 58 minutes. And right. 58, well, 60, but yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So we'd throw one of those ahead of them. <clears throat> they would motor towards it. And then we'd put another one ahead of them and they would motor towards it. Of course, and then we ran out of flares. Uh, <laughs> of course we did. But, now, but uh, as we're circling around them, I kind of noticed that the moon is, is directly behind behind them. So I tell the pilot, hey, just tell them to keep the moon like right at their six o'clock and they'll keep motoring. So that worked. So they kept on motoring. Nice. Uh, the, the way they needed to go. And then we bingoed fuel and uh, had to leave them. I think we went to Cordova to get refuel. And then a small boat from somewhere came out and escorted them in. <clears throat> but the, the, 
the big deal was when I got back, you know, I, I realized like I need to do something to improve myself, something, cause this is no joke. Uh, I was, I was so shocked by, by the weather, the conditions, the difficulty, uh, yeah. I figured out, you know, I got to do something. So I started from that point on, I started hoisting in my head every day, several times wow. a day. Nice. I would, I would have a whole entire hoist procedure. You know, I would make up a scenario and I would just go through the entire thing, verbalizing it in my head. Uh, and I would throw in emergency procedures or, or whatever. <clears throat> and I did that. I mean, I did that up until just years ago, actually, I still hoist in my head. Uh, and I think that that helped me, you know, because if you can get the, if you can get your, the, the rhythm and the cadence. And if you don't have to think about what you got to say, if you don't have to think about what, what to anticipate, if you don't have to think, I mean, that, that takes a whole load off of you. And then right. you can focus on watching the swells and try to time the hoist and that, that kind of stuff. So I credit that case, you know, as a huge eye It was just like, man, I'm not prepared for this, but it's important enough that I learn how to prepare for it. So the only wow. thing I could do was that. So, so that was my second case and that was significant to me. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty gnarly. That's awesome. Holy cow. Now it makes a lot more sense to me, by the way, as to all the training that you put me through. It's all coming together now. <laughs> well, you know, it's serious business. I keep saying it's serious business. Uh, uh, people rely on you. The crew relies on you. The people, your the aircraft crew, the helicopter crew relies yeah. on you to get the job done. They yeah. put you in that position. Gosh darn it. You better, better perform. Right. And then of course, the customer, the taxpayer, whoever, <laughs> whatever you're dealing with, even though if you're just giving them pumps to dewater their boat so yeah. they can make it, make it home. Yeah, yeah. That's your job. And yeah. Oh my gosh. Ooh. So now you've had actually a couple of other kind of significant cases in, in that, you know, like you and I have shared a couple, uh, which I am definitely going to talk about maybe two of them off the top of my head. Um, Good. Good. Let's talk about it. Uh, no, hey, give me give me one or two more that you did in the Coast Guard that kind of stand out to you. Okay, so I, I did the transition from H three to H sixty when I was in Kodiak, and then I uh, had some medical issues with my wife, and I left, and I was did recruiting for a year. <laughs> nice. That's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. I got out of that. I got out of that and uh, went to Humboldt Bay uh, and got qualified in the H-65. Yep. And for the rest of my career was pretty much in 65s. I think when I retired, I had 4,400 hours uh, in the 65. So I did a lot in the wow. 65. That's and, a lot of flying. Yeah. You know, and everybody bashes that aircraft, but it's it's good at what it does you know yeah. it doesn't have the leg doesn't have the legs like the big iron or anything like right. that uh but uh we definitely got so yeah two cases out of the 65 that were were interesting so one it was a weekend duty day and you know we go do the le boondoggle and yeah. we're, we're flying around <laughs> flying around and we're north of uh 
where are we at? North, almost up to Oregon, up, okay. up close to Crescent City, that kind of. Yeah. yeah. And we're we're about maybe a mile offshore, just zooming zooming north. And I could see something on the beach. It's kind of a sandy beach. I could see something on there, and we're like, "Hey, what's?" So we flew over and check it out. And it's a sailboat blowing blowing up on the beach. So we're just kind of touring around it. And we hadn't had any, you know, how you do the morning brief, and they tell you about boats adrift or you know things like that. Well, that yep. wasn't in in the morning brief or. So we're kind of, we're hovering around it, and we notice that there's no footprints uh, around the boat. You would think that there would be. So, so uh, I think the pilot came up with the idea, like, "Hey, let's just turn around and fly into the wind." So we did. We turned around, flew into the wind, and maybe it's hard to say, mile or so. Yeah. We find two guys bobbing in the water. Just no like, way. Like there's people, there's two guys. And uh so uh we the swimmer is in his regular flight gear, so he quickly puts on his dry suit. You know, you know that routine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we talk about that in one of my other episodes with um Steve Hathaway, and that was one of the things that he made all the swimmers do in order to like finish that qualification is you get changed in the back of the aircraft and me as a six foot four dude in the back of a 65 to get go from a flight suit to a dry suit is not an easy feat <laughs> exactly it's like well so i'm watching the swimmer change it's like he's trying to change his clothes in a glove box you know it's, it's totally <laughs> anyway this and he was not a small person uh can we throw names out here like who was? absolutely please do dan adelsberg Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So big, just, he's a full size guy. So we get him all set up and we're just going to do a regular direct deployment. And we, so the first person goes down, he grabs them, throws a strop around them, hoist them back in, get them all situ, you know, get him and the survivor and get a blanket on the survivor. They're totally hyperthermic, freeze, shivering, been in the water for, I don't know how long. So we set up to do the second one and we deploy to the second one. And when, when Dan gets to the second survivor, the survivor is like kicking him and thrashing him. And is just confused because of the hyperthermia and it's scared, you know, it doesn't know what this big orange thing is coming, coming at him. Wow. So it turned into to kind of a struggle. And I, you know, through hand signals and head gestures yeah. and communicated with the swimmer that he wants me to drop him like physically right on the person and so we do that <laughs> he bear hugs him yep. leg locks him does everything you know submits him basically yep. gets him all up. uh so i mean just like out of the blue here's two guys that were are within minutes of death uh floating around in the water no radio nobody knew they were there they would have been you know and and Lord willing, that's we just happened to come by and find them, literally. Wow. Troll, trolling for SARS. We a little were. blessing in disguise right there. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, and a few weeks later, I got a letter from one of the guys. And he was able to kind of look back and realize what dire straits he was. And he's like, I had no, in that moment, I didn't realize that we were, we were knocking on death's door and you guys just showed up and plucked us out of the sea, saved our lives. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Man. Yeah. Fun stuff. 
right place at the right time. And it, and it, that happens as well. So it's, it's, it is one of the bonuses about uh, Coast Guard in general is because they are on patrol quite often. And you, they're not always looking for people in the water and stuff. You know, it could be like you said, they're out on law enforcement, they're out on fishery patrols, they're out on, you know, something else. And maybe just a, as the guys would call it, we're going to wave the flag today and we're going to fly up the beach. Most of the time is to wave it, you know, people <laughs> on the beach, but whatever, it's a good time. So, and then all of a sudden you come across somebody in the water and that, that needs your services. Man, that is incredible. That's wow, awesome. That was fun. Uh, you see, you got one more, one more with the 65. Uh, one on. more with 65. Uh, so we get a call from the forest, forest department saying they have a firefighter who's in distress, whatever. They, they weren't sure of his condition, uh, but he needed medevaced out. So they give us the position and it's literally in the Redwood State Park. Uh, yeah. It had some fires in there, so people were mopping up. wasn't a whole lot of fires, but enough to get a couple crews in there. And there was a Forest Service uh, Huey on scene, so we fly up there in the redwoods. Now uh, you know redwood trees, three hundred, no joke, three hundred some feet tall. Totally. And so our only communication at the time was with the Forest Service Huey uh, that's on deck on there. Uh, so. He's hovering and tells us, I'm hovering over the spot. You guys just pull in, take my parking spot, and they'll be right below you. So we, we kind of come in, see the Huey there, fly right in behind him. He takes off, and then we're kind of hovering and looking down. And all you know, we, all we can see is just trees. But yeah. maybe in there, there's some yellow shirts and stuff like that. So we finally get radio comms with the people on deck. And uh, they said, yeah, they got a force fire, a fighter forest fighter forest fire fighter there we go no cantillation he's got some respiratory problems and gives us a whole, whole list of stuff and like yeah okay he definitely needs to come out of there yeah so as i'm looking down at the location trees are falling away and they're opening up this hoisting zone uh it's just pretty pretty so and now, okay, there, there's two questions there. Number one, was it the rotor wash or was it because of chainsaws and they're dropping trees? They're dropping trees. Oh chainsaws. my God, that's awesome. They're clearing the zone, the LZ, not the LZ, but uh, the hoisting zone. They're clearing it, literally. <laughs> so I'm looking down and trees are falling. Not not the big trees, but enough brush and smaller trees that they're, they're clearing out a spot. Oh, that's awesome. So we, we're like, okay, we're going to hoist it here. We think we're way too high, you know, because we're staying above the treetops. So I throw up line, of course, not even close, hook another one up, get it down. So still not close to even on deck. I got two, two trail lines hooked together. Uh, what was that? What were they in that day? 105 feet? Uh, 105 feet each. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we're 210 feet and I'm not even close to the ground. Holy so we started gosh. descending below the treetops which that's where things got really dicey because yet once we got below the treetops you had no vertical or horizontal fly out you had nothing and this is in back of the days with the 65 still had the lts 101s the engines that were that tried but you know yeah so 
They, they were, like, you know what? Let, let's say what it is. They were underpowered for that aircraft. They were underpowered for that aircraft. Yeah, that's they, a fact. And and the Coast Guard has made a great change with making them better, including the transmission now to be able to to maintain the power because back then, yeah, yeah they they repowered that air, airframe yeah. to where it should have been in the first place, but now it it's yeah. significantly better. Yeah. <clears throat> so we kind of talk about this, like should we continue down? And then this is kind of like where the risk versus gain. You know, the information they're telling us on the ground is this guy is seriously in distress. Might might not make it if we don't get him out of there, you wow. know. So then, so then that raises the the level of uh, okay, you're you're willing to take on more risk, right? <clears throat> so we continue to lower down. We're now way below the treetops. I mean, in a place where that aircraft should never ever be, but we're doing it. So whatever, whatever, we're doing it. And uh, <laughs> come on. The co-pilot ends up opening his door so he can kind of sit sideways and see a tree there to keep clearance on the left, which I have no view of now because I'm on the right side hoisting. Yep. We didn't, we didn't take a swimmer because we knew of weight wise. I think we took a bunch of other SAR gear out, took the raft out. We prepped the plane to, to get it as light as possible. Right. Uh, so during the whole thing, we set up this little one, two, three. The co-pilot would call clear on his tree. The pilot would call clear on his tree. And then I would call clear on my tree. And we did this whole little roundabout check just to make sure we're all staying clear. Because now we are way below the treetops. And then now we got a hoist. Now, how much how much hoist cable did we have? Uh, the 65 had 200 feet, 190 usable feet, give or take. Yeah, 195 usable feet. So, yeah, I think so. I mean, so we had, we were basically a good 150 feet below the treetops. <laughs> Talk about squirrely. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I hook up the litter, I lower the litter down. This is one of those things like, you know, you generally don't want to trust anybody other than the rescue swimmer to package a patient. But here we're dealing with a uh, forest firefighter who have training and things like that. So right. we, we took, took the, another risk and let, let them package the patient. Uh, so get it all down there, get the litter down there. They put the guy in the litter, strap him in, you know, and from what I can see from 150 feet above, it looks like he's, he's properly in there. So I start bringing him in bringing them in slowly. They're tending the trail, the tagline, that kind of stuff. Get, get him in just to the, uh, just below the landing gear. Yeah. And the, the tagline trail line hangs up in some tree that I can't oh. see. So now I got this like pulling thing going on and uh, the, they're still cutting trees. I forgot to mention that. The whole time they're cutting trees away, falling trees away from, from this whole area. So now I think that's how one of the, the, the trail line got, got hung up is because they fell a tree into it. Holy cow. So I'm kind of like, we're stuck. So I reach and grab the old Coast Guard issue knife. Yeah. Like, reach way out there and cut <laughs> and cut the line because it wouldn't part. You know, you got to put a lot of pressure on there and you don't want to like so I cut cut the cut the line. When I cut the line, the litter swings around. It's all but anyway, you know how that can turn into a disaster. <laughs> Finally get him inside the cabin. 
and then we slowly transition out of there and then we can breathe. But uh, yeah, that was, that was one of those where you, you unfortunately got sucked into a place you don't want to be. Uh, but you think the risk is, is worth it because you think you're going to save somebody's life. Yeah. Or no, not, you- he wasn't, he wasn't as bad as we thought or the information we got, but that's nonetheless, you know, you can only go yeah. on. Right. Pushing it to the limit, man. Yeah. Incredible. You know, I'm going to call that a life saves. That's what I'm calling it. Hurrah. <laughs> Hurrah. Um, so now it, Actually, if you don't, I would love to touch on um, two cases that you and I had specifically. The first one, actually, both of them were with uh, our boy, Eben, which is convenient because it just so happened that the three of us were on duty down in the Gulf for quite a while. And uh, (laughs) the first one, we go to this jack-up rig that was, it, it was uh, heck, it had to have been 150 foot uh, legs. And the, the guy had whatever had happened to him. But anyway, so we come over the top and you're hoisting me in and that, and then with a trail line. So you dropped the, the trail line in, which was, again, it was, it was like forever. It was, and then the, the guys on deck were trusting them to get me in between all these legs. Do you remember this? I do remember that. I remember. So let's, let's tell your listeners what a jackup rig is please do Uh, it's a it's a platform that's movable that gets gets towed around and then it has legs that reach down to the gulf floor so these legs are adjustable i mean for all practical purposes so if and the legs are probably 300 feet long right and so if he's if he's in 100 100 foot of water you got 200 feet of leg above the deck above the, you know, and then if he's in deep water, then the legs are all the way down. Yeah. So that's, that's what this, and I remember that. And I remember it was really windy, which was kind of rare. We never had, we didn't have a whole lot of like crazy wind there, but I do remember it was windy and we had those hundred and they were 150 feet off the deck easily. Yeah. Uh, and the hoist, the target zone was, was pretty small. It was really small and we couldn't do the only thing we could do was from a hover, a straight in hoist that that was, we couldn't go at an angle and it just, it just wasn't going to work because we needed good pilot reference. Um, So anyway, keep going. No, I, I remember that. uh, But I remember the wind and uh, that was kind of the the main, the main thing that I remember about that was the challenge of the wind, you know, and the wind, wind causes all kinds of, kinds of things you can feel in the aircraft when the when it gets a gust so you know exactly what the pilot's going to do he's going to he's going to give a little uh cyclic into that gust and you know that's going to move the airframe and you got to have at a pre plan to give some cable or take some cable away when that happens uh yeah i I just remember that whole deal and and that airframe that we were in the aw139 has got such a flat side on it it's really it really gets buffeted by the wind. Yes. Uh, yeah. When you're in that hover, like a crosswind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a barn door on the side. Well, the other thing I remember specifically about that one too is, so we, we get on scene and we had talked about a couple different ways to uh, deploy myself and Evan to go get the patient. And the first thing was like, okay, maybe we can just deploy the tagline and throw it all the way down to the deck. 
And then we're looking at like, man, we're 150 feet in the air. As soon as the tackle like gets halfway down, it's going to blow off the rig. So it's like, okay, that's not going to work. What if we lower me halfway down and then I'll throw it and let those guys get it? And it was like, no, no, no. Because if, if, again, if it gets halfway down and they miss it, and then now I'm in the middle of the jackups with no support and then we lose the tag line. So I think the last decision was we're going to put two weight bags on the end of it. And just like Coast Guard days, high line and lower that weight bag all the way down and ask those guys on deck we gave them a great brief over the radio i said you just hold on to that that line and nice and easy pull in and uh and that's what we ended up doing and it worked out beautifully because i remember getting on deck and and then evan came in actually did did the tagline break on that i don't remember nope nope okay Uh, so but (laughs) i think is that where your, your vest inflated too? Totally did. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm down on deck trying to pack the tagline and I pulled my, my, seat, my cartridge. Boom. And I, <laughs> oh. After we got Evan and the uh, victim in on board though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I go down. That's right. Tagline came in. I bring Evan down the gear. We had, we set up the patient. You pick Evan and the patient up. Tagline drops and I'm I'm packing the tagline and I pull that toggle, boom! The dude who was standing with me is just looking at me. He's, he's like, and I'm trying to be serious. And I look up, I just start laughing. He's like, ah! I remember looking down and seeing that. That was classic. Oh my classic. gosh, that was yeah. a that was a fun case. We it was fun for multiple reasons. We had there was a lot of. Um, dynamics that we really had to work around we had a great pilot in the upper right hand seat the left pilot had nothing to look at he was looking at nothing but gauges and keeping us at a good hover um mark jones off the top of my head was our right seat pilot uh yeah yeah so god what a fun case that was good and that guy lived no problem um you know once we got out to the aircraft you know, stabilized him and everything was good to go. Got to the hospital, landed no problem. And then we were back to base, kicked on the TV and standing by for the next one. <laughs> I think we got, uh, remember how we used to go get uh, malted milkshakes after after yeah. a good case? I think we probably got malted milkshakes for after that one. We probably did. Because that it, <laughs> if, if we were in Gal- uh, Galveston, we'd end up going down to like IHOP or something. And then yeah. if we we're over in Fusha, we'd head up and Go get some malted milkshakes. You had yeah. a good time. All right. And then the next one. The next one I want to touch on because this is super fun for me. <laughs> so we are on duty. It's the um, Eben, uh, Pat, and Quinny crew. And we call ourselves the Epic Crew. <laughs> epic. Yes. We were epic. We get launched out on uh, a disabled cruise liner. And it wasn't anything that was majorly wrong. And, and a lot of people actually know this story because the cruise liner was in the Gulf of Mexico and they lost an engine. Then they lost a second engine. They lost all their generators and they're just pretty much dead in the water. They were totally fine. So they were afloat. They were in tow. And now they're being brought from uh, wherever they were in the Gulf of Mexico back to Louisiana. So we get called out to go help support because now we need there the cruise line asked us to bring supplies food water etc from the supply ship to the cruise line and they had tried a whole bunch of stuff weather wasn't really helping but um 
what I remember specifically is, <laughs> is going out to the supply boat. So it was almost like a rock, paper, scissor. It was like, who's going to go to the supply boat and who's going to the cruise ship? Well, Evan won the cruise ship because, oh, I'm a paramedic and making sure everybody's okay. Thanks, Evan. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, he had, I, th- I don't know if he had a better time, but I remember Kim coming back and being like, yeah, they were bringing me drinks with umbrellas in it. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so anyway, so you put me down and this is the first time I had really used what's known as the uh, rescue swimmer tagline deployment. And you had started to hoist me out and I was just about maybe 10 feet off deck, but still over the water. And I was talking to the guys on the deck and I had thrown the tagline to them and then they helped me or helped you stabilize the load by me holding onto the tagline, they're holding onto it. And then boom, nice and easy, a little bit forward and right. And I'm on deck and I'm good to go. Um, And then you guys took off and dropped Evan off. What I will throw out there is that you worked harder than all of us between you and Gene Reynolds and flying. You guys were going back and forth and you were working like a dog. I mean, because I was, while well, you were on the cruise ship, I'm loading baskets and bags and equipment and webbing. And I had, you know, loads of stuff ready to go for you to be brought up to the aircraft. And sometimes it was like, hey, cases of water, cases of water, cases of water, food, 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 produce, produce, produce. And, and you were hoisting all day long. I, I have to imagine we did, without exaggeration, 30 to 50 hoists in one day. Just. Yeah, I wish I remembered the numbers. Uh, it was staggering how many hoists uh, we did each day. And I, yeah, it was if there was ever a record for as the number of hoists, we <laughs> smashed that record forever. And it will oh, yeah. never be broken. No, it was no, it was astounding because we would do what three? No, because we had the. It's like I would hoist six loads off of your boat, right? Yep, yep. And then we'd fly it, and then I would have to organize all that in the cabin. Yep, safely because safety never takes a day off. Oh, fly, awesome. over, <laughs> fly over to the cruise ship and I would hoist those six loads down. And what I how would I don't remember how we got the bags back because you needed bags to refill. I think Evan just pretty much dumped it right out. And oh uh, you know what it was? You would send a basket down because we had two baskets with us, uh especially right. on the second day. So when one basket went down, he would dump it out. And then as the bags would go down, the crew members on the cruise ship. So this yeah. is where Evan had all his minions to help him out. Yeah. On yeah. <laughs> he had like 10 people running around and helping him out. Uh, but then, uh, you know, he, and then all the bags would go back in the basket. And then when you would pull the baskets back out, boom, they come to me. So, yeah, there was, I think it was more, it was closer to, I think literally, closer to a hundred hoists easily because uh, you consider hoisting off the supply vessel and hoisting yeah. on through the, they added up. I mean, we were, we were keeping track, but then we totally just lost yeah. keep, keeping track. Cause there's so many. There and, were so many. And, uh, you know what? You're right. There were easily over a hundred because there was six, six just coming off my, off my supply boat. And there was six going on minimum to the cruise yeah. ship. There's 12. Plus the the recovery of stuff and the recover and the insertion of stuff on my end. So you're talking twenty hoist per leg, and we and we did it all day. You guys left to go back and refuel and then come back. Yeah, we did it all day, 
it was it was it was and hoisting to the vessel was well hoisting to your ve- the vessel you were on was actually harder because that was a smaller vessel and it had some waves and uh but a nice big platform in the back to hoist to so everything yep. was well you guys did a great job we just I, I had a, I had a bunch of good crew members with me too. Um, all those guys, hats off to them because they were like, "What are we doing?" And I'm like, "This is what we're gonna do." So they took great instruction and really gave me a good hand packaging stuff up. And yeah, so. yeah that was well. And then hoisting to the cruise ship, uh, due to, due to the winds, we kind of had to hoist to a side uh, walkway. Not kind of there it was kind of more of an open, obvious place to hoist to, but due to the winds and the way the, the vessel was getting towed and things that just, but still it was a, but there was a lot of cool, interesting things that happened during, during the hoist. We would, as you fly up to the vessel, I think the back, the back of the cruise ship is like little state rooms. Yep. And there were people there with signs, you know, like we'll pay you whatever to, to take us off <laughs> and, and girls with, you know, like wanting us to pick them up. And because uh, there's a lot of people on there and they, they, were, they were stars for entertainment. And we were the entertainment for the day. A couple of so it was, it was interesting every time we came, came over. I mean, they kept, kept all the, the people away from the, from the, where we were hoisting to, but there were people everywhere else. Uh, it was fun. Gosh. Uh, what a poor, good... Evan, poor Evan. So we, one of the containers had, uh, Cases of yogurts. So, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> so this is later. <laughs> this is later on in the case after I found out that oh yeah he's getting like you know drinks with umbrellas and stuff and I'm I'm getting seasick on the side. <laughs> I'm like oh that's okay. So yes, I set up one of the baskets and the basket it was the is the LSE collapsible basket which has got webbing in it and stuff and. And I had taken a bunch of the yogurt containers and filled up the basket. And uh, some of one of the boxes had busted open. So I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just gonna dump it right on top. Which full well know that as soon as the rotor wash hits that, boom, they're going launching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm hoisting, hoisting uh, that that basket, the one you booby trapped, I would say. Uh, and I get over the deck and I notice like these explosions happening on this and then the deck is like this teak it's beautiful flooring and all this stuff and the yogurts are falling out and they're like mortars landing on around Eben and everybody else and they're exploding <laughs> and leaving these you know big splotches on the deck and uh everybody's freaking out because because <laughs> they're getting getting bombed literally bombed by yogurts uh it was, it was quite funny uh, oh my goodness yeah and then another i think it was a i think it was again a basket that had a bunch of melons in it do you remember those oh yeah 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 uh so i put the basket on the deck and with the melons and one of the crew guys grabbed it and kind of tipped it over and the melon just spilt everywhere and i remember commenting the deck is a wash with melons because the melons were falling everywhere uh, yeah oh uh, and i hate to laugh at that but that was so fun what a great case that was we had my goodness um, it, it was challenging in the fact that you know when you do something repetitively over and over you you start to slack off so 
you know, we had to kind of still keep our professionalism and yeah. when you're into the 80th hoist, it's like uh, automatic, but you don't want to do that. It's still stuff. Hoisting to your vessel was definitely the more challenging hoist. Yeah. Um, we had a much smaller area for sure. It had a little, little roll and pitch to it. So, yeah. um, but uh, you guys did a great job. It was oh, you did too. One of the things I, I that stands out to in my mind with that in particular case is that the second, excuse me, the second day was raining, and um, there was a lot of water on my vessel as well because I was drenched, you know, from just the waves. Because we we had a, a six six to seven foot swell that we were riding over, and when you would get a good like eight nine footer, it would the water the the water would come onto the deck, so I would just get soaked. Well, my tagline got wet. And it was the first time I had ever noticed it when my tagline was so drenched wet and we had a little bit of a mist in the air and I was getting that little uh, electrical shock through the tagline, through the water that's coming. I was like, are are you kidding me? Like, I can't believe this is happening to me right now. And and that is what was happening. So the rotor wash was, um, you know, putting that static electricity on the cable and it was literally running right down the water in the rope to my hands. And I'm like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. <laughs> what a good case. Oh, so fun. So. And we were, we were on CNN. We were like the news. Um, we, we did make the news on that way. Yep. Picture of CNN on, of us out there. Yep, rescuing. Yep. <laughs> Helping the cruise ship in distress. So fun. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's some good stories, Pat. I, I appreciate talking about those. So, um, now let's, I'm going to move on a little bit more and just, and kind of, I want to talk cause you have some great, you know, lessons learned. You have some great t- uh, training advice, safety advice. What, what would you like, what would you tell everybody right now? That's either a getting into it or B that's been doing it for a long time or both. Uh, one, one thing that comes to mind is, uh, is I, f- I find a lot of people in the, helicopter based hoist rescue business don't understand the hazards of uh, shock loading the cable uh, and dynamic stress you can put on the cable because you know people think uh, the cable's rated at what 5,800 pounds uh, and and they think well I'm hoisting I can only hoist 600 pounds because that's the you know the limit that I can, so I'm never even overloading the cable, but I think uh, a, a, str- a bigger awareness on how much dynamic load can be put on the cable and you can actually overload the cable when you have, say for example, somebody's coming into the cabin and you have a lot of slack cable, they fall, you've you just introduced a lot more than 250 pounds onto the cable. Uh, so, um, very true. Un- I think understand, you know, and I, when I learned that I was shocked and kind of like taken back that I didn't know that the 20 years in the coast guard, uh, it really wasn't emphasized and I think it should be. Uh, and then I run into other people who are kind of the same kind of, kind of thing is, yeah, you know, it's, it's strong enough. It's strong enough when used as as, but oftentimes you, you find yourself in positions like doing vertical rescues. Uh, yeah. You've got a, somebody on a cliff and you've got your, 
your rescue specialist, you know, whoever he is attached to the line, if he gets too much, you get slack in the line and he slips and falls off the cliff. You've just now introduced a ton of load on that cable and it could be enough to park the cable. Right. Not good. Uh, so that's one, one thing that I've, think is is important is get people to get a good understanding of the cable's limitations and envisioning how uh, situations can ex exceed the capacity of the cable. Agreed. It's, it is important. Like, it, you know, that that really up at the aircraft is one of the, the you know, the scariest times. And, and yeah, so that you know, and that, that kind of brings to the second piece of equipment I like to see everybody use is some sort of fall restraint. Uh, basically, it's a self-retracting uh, fall prevention cable or yep. uh, strap. It's, it's an OSHA-approved uh, fall restraint that they use on high-rises and, and large um, uh, skyscrapers. When, when the guys are up there putting bolts and nuts and welding up top, they'll usually run a cable with this uh, fall restraint system and it's it's a retractable one. So it's almost like a seatbelt. So you can walk it out yeah. and it'll lock if you go too fast. So uh, great piece of equipment, highly recommended in anybody that's doing aircraft stuff because as soon as you get up, boom, connect them right to it. Yeah, it adds uh, a huge amount of security, you know, pre preventing that dynamic load on the cable, but also, uh, during that transition, when when the person is getting going from the seatbelt to the cable, uh, it prevents them from falling out of the aircraft. Right. Uh, and uh, when you're bringing a survivor or a rescue specialist up to the cabin, and you're using that type of system, and you connect that system to that person, what, whatever you're calling that system, when you connect that system to the person. You can literally feel the sigh of relief in the flight controls because now the pilot has, uh, he knows that person can't fall out, can't damage anything, that they are connected <clears throat> via this other piece of equipment uh, to the aircraft. So they can come in, they can disconnect from the hoist hook, they're still connected, uh, safe, they're not going to fall out, and then they can move around, get into their position. Uh, but I honestly, you can literally feel the sigh of relief from everybody in the cabin when you hear yeah. devices connected. And then it's yeah. like, oh, everybody's it's like, it's like the babies are home. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't <laughs> fall. They're not going anywhere. They're on a restraint system, fall restraint inside the air, you know, coming inside the aircraft. It's, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. It's good advice, man. Good advice. Uh, you know, I am curious because you did talk about it uh, right when we got started. So you learned something uh, last week in the trees. Uh, yes. All right. There it was. Darkest storm. Oh, yes. Hold on, hold on. There I was. Top of the tree. <laughs> no. All right. Bear, bear with me. This is going to make sense. Okay. Okay. I got to paint the picture, though, right? Uh, paint the picture. Oh, paint the picture. The I tried. Pictures. So. So I'm taking down a white pine. It's about 150 feet and it's close to a house. One direction, another direction, there's a propane tank, another direction, there's the county road. 
another direction there's a bunch of trees another direction there is uh, a shop and garage and that kind of stuff so there's no there's physically no place to fall 150 foot tree so the plan is to climb it and take it down in pieces until it's short enough that i can fall the rest of it uh, so when i climb a tree you know i'm wearing the whole tree climbing gear a harness spurs flip line a couple other ropes and stuff and then i carry it's a climbing tree saw it's a specialized uh, chainsaw made for tree work it's very short and small it has a top handle it's not like your back handle chainsaw okay. it has a lot of power and they're very expensive did i say they're very expensive yeah noted <laughs> so and it's attached to my harness with a retractable tether it's kind of like got a bungee cord in it and then it also has a i think it's a 150 pound breakaway that if you're cutting the top out or something and the saw hangs up in the the, the tree as it's falling the the saw will break away mm -hmm. and, and it also has toward the end of the into the tether it has a, a big ring so it's attached at, the, at one end at the other end has a ring that kind of and it just hangs the saw off my saddle and then it has a short little piece of strap with a clip that's connected to the saw have i done okay. a good job painting that picture yes i okay. totally understand all right so i'm climbing up and i use the saw to limb limbs as i get up and i get up about my goal is to get to about 100 feet uh, and then cut the top off and then work my way down. So anyway, I get up about 50, 60 feet and I'm trimming some limbs with the saw and I go to put my saw back. So I put that big, big ring onto this hook mm -hmm. and I do that. And I notice like, wow, it's, I don't feel the weight of the saw anymore. And I look down and the saw is now on the ground. So it fell that far. Oof. And the reason, reason it fell is because of the clip that I had on there. Dynamic rollout. You know what that is, huh? Oh, no kidding. Okay, yeah. I do know what that is. So somehow, if anybody, yeah. Real quick. If anybody doesn't know what dynamic rollout is, you can take two non-locking carabiners and you can connect them together and basically roll one onto the gate of the other and pop it off. And I will be happy to demonstrate this and put it on my Instagram page for everybody to see dynamic rollout. It is preventable. Go ahead. It is preventable and people have died uh, due to dynamic rollout. It's no joke. And uh, it's always gotta be in your mind. So anyway, dynamic rollout, my chainsaw is now way down there. So the, I finished the tree with my big chainsaw, which kicked my butt because it's not, <laughs> it's not easy to run a big chainsaw inches from your face and the weight of it. Anyway, I finished the tree with my big chainsaw, go down there. <clears throat> uh, I had to buy a bunch of parts, fix my saw. But my the, the lesson learned is, is I've been using that clip for, I've been doing this, you know, on and off for 15 years. And I've been using that clip for, 12 so many years and I use the clip because sometimes when I get down, I like to disconnect that lanyard and use the saw to limb the tree uh, because it's handy because it's super handy okay. and leave the lanyard attached is just kind of in the way. 
But what I learned, the lesson I learned out of there is just because you've been, it's been working for so long, doesn't make it right. And it really caused me to stop and look at like some of the other stuff that I do in that tree work and things like that. And like, well, just because, just because it's been working does not make it the right thing. It should never have had a clip on there. It should have been, it should have had something that prevented it from this, from dynamic rollout or whatever, uh, you know, and you get suckered into, well, it worked. It's always worked the years before. Yeah, that may be true, but it doesn't necessarily make it right. So my lesson there was like to kind of step back, look at my gear, my rigging, my procedures, and just make sure I'm everything I'm doing was right. Man, that's awesome. And, and that's, I'm going to circle into the, uh, the helicopter world. And that is what uh, like everybody should be thinking. You know, um, one of the things that when we go into training, we start talking CRM. And uh, when you talk specifically about the, the DuPont's dirty dozen, the very number 12 is known as the norms. norms. And it's like, it drives me mental. Like this is one of, this is one of the ones that just really chaps me because you hear that people say this, well, this is the way we've always done it. No, it's not. This is not the way we did it in 1940. So stop saying that things have changed and things have progressed and people have learned and you've learned from mistakes. Take a look at what you're doing. Is it the safest way? Is there a better way to do it? Is there new gear and equipment that's out there that you can use? Are there newer procedures? Are there better procedures? Man, good on you, Pat. And thanks for, thanks for bringing that to us, man. I'm all about oh, you're it. Right, right on. And it's a challenge to do that. You know, I think we're just mentally, uh, the way we're wired, you know, it's, it's hard to, to step outside of yourself and look at uh, what you're doing. But to do that, you got to have some, you know, and, I, and I'm a, since I'm in the training and do, I think it's training from a bunch of different sources and reputable sources is super important and getting somebody to help you look at that, you know, uh, just say, just stick on dynamic rollout. Like once you understand that, what dynamic rollout is, you should take that knowledge and apply it to everything that you're, of course, I'm not talking about everything, but I'm not talking about washing the dishes, right? <laughs> everything related, related to your serious business of, of SAR or rescue or whatever it is yeah. and apply that knowledge, you know, and I used to have this rule where there were no locking carabiners ever on the aircraft excuse me, non-locking carabiners. Yeah, non-locking carabiners. Yeah. No non-locking carabiners. Because if there's one, somehow it's going to make its way into a life support system. And yep. uh, you know, so so let's make let's just make a rule that there is you can't even have them on your helmet bags to clip yeah. uh, to, to to secure your helmet bag. Right. And you know what, that, that falls into your second case. When you're pulling, you're talking about using chocks to put down on the boat. It's you get on that case and you've exhausted everything in the helicopter. And now you have one carabiner left. It's the one on your helmet bag. And it's the only non-locking carabiner there. Right, exactly. Like it happens. And people look at that and be like, no, that'll never happen. Yes, it will. Just yes, give it, it time. It will. Give it time. Yeah. It took me 15 years for that saw to fall off my harness, but... It did. Fortunately, nobody was underneath there at the time because that sucker hit me. I would have done some damage. 
Yeah. Uh, you almost had to buy a new saw, which is expensive. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you expensive? <laughs> you might have mentioned that. <laughs> uh, the parts parts were expensive just to fix it, but I got I got lucky on that. Yeah. Uh, lucky on that. Super lucky. Well, great advice, Pat. Great advice. Thank thank you for sharing that for sure. So anyway. Well, Mr. Pat Barber, I do not want to take any more of your time. I cannot thank you enough for coming on and joining me here at the Real Rescue Podcast. Dude, it is awesome to see you. It's awesome to hang out. And I, I really do look forward to the next time that you and I get to spend some time together because it's going to yes. be fun. Yeah. So thank you very much. It's been awesome. Good. Good. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email therealrescue at gmail.com that's t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q at gmail.com you can also check us out on our facebook and instagram page at the real rescue that's at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q i also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember that when that sar alarm goes off Those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.